everyone, and welcome to Sharing the Journey for March. Today, I'm here with Pastor Dave. Hello. He is going to share his journey. So, yeah. Why don't we start by you, like we, like I always start, by you telling us a little about your life currently, and uh, then we'll dive into your childhood. And Okay. Currently, I, I have two part-time positions. Both are in in, in Christian ministry. One is at Abiding Savior Lutheran Church. I just help them out part-time with whatever the pastor wants, which usually is uh, shut-in calls, hospital calls, calling on members, uh, attending meetings on his behalf, uh, preaching occasionally and doing liturgy, uh, Bible study, just, just uh, being his, his right-hand man, I guess you'd say. And then the other part-time job I have is... Um, the podcaster for not alone internet ministry and the not alone ministry has two podcasts one's called you're not alone um and that is a kind of a, like a weekly thought and devote uh it, it usually ties something together that happened during the week with a bible verse um i like to do it that way rather than a bible verse launch to a to something that happened during the week um, start with the, the event of the week and say, you know, this is interesting how God connects with this. And then the other podcast is Room 4216. That comes from Isaiah 4216, where God says, I have led the blind in paths that they have not seen. And then on, on uh, um, uh, what is it? Not paths again, but on roads they, have, they do not know. And uh, I do that with Cecilia Lee, who is also blind. And we do a Bible study together, about 25 minutes each time. And we're working through the Bible uh, to look at things. And it's made in particular for people who are blind, because most of those who listen to our podcast don't read Braille, can't read large print. And so we have to not only provide the word of God, but then background. And we want to make it engaging for them. So we have fun with that uh, podcast. Yeah, and that's a great podcast. You guys should check oh, it out. Thanks. I like it. Yeah. And then from that comes other this, that people call me, hey, what about this? What about that? And, and so forth. So that's kind of what I do for um, my uh, professional work. And on, and on the side for fun, I love I'm a handyman. I, I've had tools in my hands before I lost my sight. I love to do woodworking and and uh, home repairs and things. So in the St. Louis area, I provide that at no cost to anyone who's blind and visually impaired who might need some uh some help because a lot of people who are blind they don't have money to afford somebody and they also sometimes are just kind of i don't know if i should trust you in my house and how do i know you're doing the job right now are you cheating me and this way um i can provide the help and service if i can and um have wonderful conversations and, and i charge them nothing but uh, uh the parts that's cool yeah and uh, let's see, you're married and you have grown children, right? Two girls. Tori is um, now 26 and Meg is 23. Um, Tori got married uh, four years ago and moved out. They actually, uh, she and her husband, Brian, only live about mm, a mile from us. Uh, it, it happened coincidentally, by the way. Uh, not that we were well, anyway, and uh, so we get to see them every once in a while. And Meg, our younger daughter, 23, it, at the moment she's home, but she's getting in a process of moving to an apartment up in Omaha. And oh, she'll wow. be getting a job up there in Omaha, Nebraska. Wow. 
And my wife's name is Deb. Um, I met her in college. She's a charming, gorgeous, beautiful, vivacious, witty, redheaded wife. And uh, <laughs> we've been married for 41, going on 42 years now. Wow. Yeah, I, I just can't believe how much time has passed. One of your daughters, yeah. your, I think it was your youngest, was six when I first met you. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that could be. Yeah, that could be. I remember you guys talking and and you were talking about how nice the wind felt and you were like isn't it great that god gave us wind and i remember thinking how cool it was that you connected you mm. know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. god in with but anyways mm -hmm. okay so let's go back to your childhood tell me um about your early life and and what shaped you okay um i'm i'm the youngest of three uh, my sister Mary is five years older. My brother John is two and a half years older. And then there's me. And so I was kind of always the, not the caboose, but always coming along and trying to fit in. And I sometimes was the jokester, therefore. Um, I started losing my sight when I was in second grade, eight years old. And uh, be honest, that really did start to sh form and shape my life before. If that wouldn't have happened, I, who knows what I'd be like, but it, it started and that my second grade, I missed um, one fourth of the whole school year. Mom taught me at home because I had so many eye surgeries. She taught me at home and and uh, um, as best we could. And I got through the year and I, they were able to save some of my sight. I have Coates disease. C-O-A-T-E-S, named after the, the doctor who identified it. It's um, vessels behind the retina leak fluid, sometimes blood, sometimes water, and that builds up pressure and rips the retina, just like you're ripping a piece of paper in half. And so they were able to sew it back together some, but every time they did, I'd lose uh, uh, half the area of the retina. So um, second grade, I lost about half my sight, uh, fourth grade, uh, uh, I lost another chunk. And in fifth grade, I lost it all. There was finally so much fluid that had come through. It went between the cornea and the uh, retina and they couldn't drain it. And this blocked all light to come in. So I was left blind then at uh, age 11. I started learning Braille and mobility. And what really shaped me then, uh, one of the key factors, both my brother and sister were kind and helpful and friendly. They didn't pick on me too much, no other than a brother or sister would anyway. And, uh, uh, but my mom, she said, Dave, you can do anything you want. You'll have to be creative, resourceful. You'll have to work extra hard. You'll have to put in extra time. You're going to have to ask for help, but you can do anything you want. So go clean your room. <laughs> and so she didn't let me get away with anything and she was right by my side and she i i still remember in in uh, ninth and tenth grade coming home from school and she'd be frying chicken for supper and working with me with my spanish book trying to pronounce spanish words helping me through my spanish lesson and that's how i did homework quite often was her moving back and forth from the kitchen to help me I had some help, of course, in, in school with kids and teachers and all, but she was the formative factor for me. She really was. In fact, I remember one other time saying to her, is God punishing me? And she said, and because I'm, is that why I'm blind? And she said, no, 
I don't know why you're blind, but I do know that we'll get through it together. And then she just turned and walked away. And those words meant so much to me. We'll get through it together. And that's what she did. She carried through with uh, those words. Wow. Were, were your parents Christians? Yes, they were. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, I was raised in a Christian family uh, right from the get-go. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So did anything, uh, tell me about your teen years. Did anything ad additional? Oh, several things. I was in Boy Scouts and that helped a lot. I had a good Boy Scout troop leader who was willing to come alongside and say, okay, you're blind. So there's things we might have to do differently. Now notice he didn't say can't do. Right. He said, do differently. And so he let me try everything uh, with caution. And um, I actually became the, the, the go-to guy for chopping wood for making the fires all the time. And I loved it. I'd chop wood, work up a sweat and, and then, uh, okay, my job's done, guys. Now it's time for you to do this, that, and cook and whatever. And I'd stay in bed until the last second in the morning and then roll out by the hot fire because they had it going because I had chopped all the wood the night before. <laughs> but that scout leader was helpful in that way, giving me skills and training. That was extremely helpful. Um, oh, dating. I, I, in eighth grade, I remember having a crush on Audrey and and I thought, I'm going to get up the nerve. And I finally got up the nerve and I called her house, asked for Audrey. And I said, uh, after a minute chit chat, would you like to go to the basketball game tonight? And she said, um, let me talk to my mom and, and, and well, call me back in a few minutes. I said, okay. And I paced the floor wondering what she's going to say, what she's going to say. And I, I called back and, and I said, hi, my sweet daughter. She said, oh, I'm sorry. She just left. I said, oh, okay. And I hung up. And in that moment, I knew she didn't want to date me, the blind guy. And that's how I viewed it anyway. Now, whether maybe, maybe she doesn't like my face or smile or toes, I don't know. She didn't want to date me. But I put it to being blind. And I thought, is this what I'm going to go through all my life? Because I'm blind, I can't do this, I can't do that. That was an earth-shattering, shaking moment. Um, that I didn't share with my mom or my dad. I struggled with that a lot. Um, and it probably ended up to shape me in that I would not let my blindness stop me for any reason whatsoever. Um, I would do anything and I'd rather die trying than not do. And with that mentioned, I almost did die several times. Uh, horseback riding. I said, I can ride a horseback. And they team me up with the horse that'd follow another horse. And so it was going fine until the last gallop. And that's what they did on a straightaway. They galloped. But at the end of the straightaway, the horses had to turn to the left. And the horse, because he was not feeling anyone guiding him, left only enough room for himself under the tree. And I hit the tree with my forehead. Oh. And, and um, I vaguely wait, remember waking up thinking I'm under a horse with these horse hoofs bouncing around my ears. So I let go and I'm surprised uh, that it, it, well, if my skin would have broken, I would have bled to death right there. The welt on my forehead, the entire forehead was as thick as your finger. I mean, it was huge. And uh, um, believe it or not, um, the next spring I said to mom and dad, I'm going to go, 
horseback riding again. And I did. Because <laughs> at that moment, I didn't want anything to stop me. Um, anything. Hmm. So um, did, did you uh, go to college? Did you? Well, you said you met your wife in college. So I guess you did go yep, to college. I did. <laughs> yeah. Mom and dad insisted I go to college. They said, um, in fact, they, my sister went to college. My brother, he went into the Navy. So he actually, he went to the, 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 the college in the, my local town, just the extension or the community college, I guess you'd call it today, mm -hmm. uh, for a couple of years. And then he decided, nah, I'm going to go Navy. He didn't want to do a full-time uh, college. So mom and dad were big on education. And in the 70s, if you had a good education, it did land you a job. Not quite so much today as it was then, but it was then. And so they said, Dave, you're going to college. I didn't have a choice. Um, so I didn't know what to do or where to go. So I went to the college my sister went to. She happened to go to um, um, Concordia in St. Paul, Minnesota, a three-hour drive from Wausau, where I grew up. And I went there because my sister went there, and I had visited my sister a couple of times, so I kind of knew the college. While I was at college, one of the professors said to me, it's a Christian college, Dave, why don't you be a pastor? And I said, pastor? I don't know if I want to be a pastor. And in my back of my mind, I'm thinking, those are those fat guys who sit around and pontificate all day. I don't want to become <laughs> that. But I would dare so live that. So I said, well, I'd have to learn Greek and Hebrew, wouldn't I? Yeah. Well, who's going to teach me that in Braille? And without flinching, without thinking, he said, oh, I'll learn Braille and teach it myself. And then he went back in front of the class and started teaching the class that day. And I've, I'm all this time, I'm thinking, what did he just say? He's going to learn Braille and teach me the next day. He said, where's my Braille card? Literally the next day. Oh, wow. So I made him a Braille card. And the next week he said, I've memorized Braille. Where do we go for the lexicon and lectionary? And uh, we, we found it in Braille. He said in my office, Monday, Wednesday and Friday, 730 a.m. And again, he turned and walked away. And I'm not kidding. That's why I'm a pastor. He believed in me enough that he was going to invest that much time and energy to teach me himself. <sighs> and boy, I knew my Greek really well. I could even actually speak Greek uh, when I was done with the uh, college there, because it, when you're the one-on-one -on -one student with the professor and he insists you learn it and speak it, you don't have much choice. So I did. And, uh, that's why I'm a pastor. And, and, and as you mentioned, and, and uh, that's is where I met my wife. Um, and so she knew right away what she was getting in for marrying a pastor and what that would all mean. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So did you, what, what happened next? Did you pastor a church? Did you. When in the Lutheran denomination from after college, you have to go to seminary. It's a, right. it's actually an eight year process. So I went to seminary after college and that was in St. Louis. And that's a four year thing. And um, I met some opposition there, too. Several of the professors there didn't want, think I should be a pastor because I'm blind. Not, not anything to do with academics or anything. I was a straight-A student. I mean, I, I could pull my own weight there. But they said, blind people shouldn't be pastors. And, and so I, I went and talked to one or two professors, uh, one being the head of the systematic department. I said, some of your profs are saying this, but it doesn't make sense because they're saying, 
uh, basing it on an Old Testament prophecy that says priests can't priests who are blind can't serve. That's what they were basing it on. Uh huh. That's right. Wow. You would think they might base it on something that made sense. I know. <laughs> well, I did my due or diligence. Sort of made sense. This, you're right. Well, I, before I went to the prof, I, I looked at this verse and I, I came to the prof and I said, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but first off, doesn't that mean they can't serve as a priest in the temple in Jerusalem, but they can be a priest in some of the out precincts? And then secondly, don't we base our pastor office off of the prophet, not the priest? Jesus was the high priest. He's the one who sacrificed his life. So that's why we're forgiven that sacrifice. We're, we're prophets. And he just said to me, you just ignore him. You steer away from him. I'll take care of him. And I walked out and smiled and I thought, I did it. Because that's what I was hoping he would do. He would take my side. And that's one thing I learned to do uh, in college and seminary. If I can collaborate and build up partners who do believe in me, who will support me, let them battle the fights more than me. Because when you're a blind person, especially in school, you're almost a pawn. Um, but when you're out, when you have others who are fighting for you, well, that's their peers, not a pawn. And that's what he did. He, uh, he, he fought it all the way to the board of directors. And, and that's how I became a pastor. Wow. Uh, after four years. And once I started, then the question was, will any church take a blind guy? And actually, um, truth be known, I was scheduled to go to a church, a church college combo in Michigan. But when the district president up there heard that it was a blind guy slated, he withdrew the funds from that campus to prevent me to come. Wow. He didn't want a blind guy. And so I, I walked into the dean of placement and I said, well, um, we'll see what happens this summer. But if you don't uh, get me a church, I'm just going to go and start one. There's a lot of people who need churches in Florida and Arizona, and that's what I will do. And I, I turned and then walked away. And, and, and by then, after four years of seeing me on campus, the, the dean of students realized if I say something, I mean it. And, and he understood that. But he called me in his office then three weeks later and said, you just relax and don't worry. We have a church for you. And sure enough, uh, the pastor in St. Louis had heard about me and and how I work hard and I don't let things stop me, that I trust the Lord and 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 live by faith. And and he said, we'd like to have that guy. And so that's where I started. Then it was in St. Louis at our Redeemer and was there for 13 years. 13 years and great at 13 years some ways i'd like to say the best 13 years of my life but the next 13 years were fantastic even as the last 10 have been fantastic so can't say the best but boy they were good they were good so i'm i'm curious what what challenges did you face if any as a mm -hmm. as a blind pastor well I, as you know um Shelly, the usually the barriers for people who are blind are materials and transportation and people's attitudes. Those three. Yep, so, that pretty much sums it up. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. So the first Sunday at church, I I um, I said first, thank you, congregation, for. Well, actually, I was there two weeks before my installation, 
And I said, thank you very much for believing in me and calling me. I have a simple request and we'll work together as a team. I need some volunteers to do uh, driving. Uh, on the visits. All you'll do is you'll accompany me and, and I'll do the pastor stuff. You just have to be my chauffeur. I had 36 people sign up. Wow. 36. That's a large congregation, but, but 36 people. It was actually too many. We worked it down to 20 and that was a perfect number. I was out visiting people um, four afternoons a week, four afternoons a week. And the congregation learned to love that because I was the visiting pastor and they loved it that the pastor was out and visiting him. So if I wasn't doing a shut-in or a hospital call, I was visiting just members in general. Mm -hmm. And they, and, and the people I, that drove with me, they loved it too, because they, they got to be part of the ministry. So that was the transportation. That was one of the challenges. Second barrier was the reading material. Well, by then a lot had been put into Braille. Computers were just starting to come uh, onto the market and I had gotten one and, and, a, and a, um, a scanner. And so materials wasn't too much of a barrier for me. And then the last was the attitude. And sure, whenever you go to a new place, can you do it and not? And, and you, you know, no, I can open the door. That's fine. Oh, thank you. And I'd always try to be very polite and not insulting or rude, but just try to be polite to people and friendly so that the, how they'd always view me, whether it was a good day or a bad day, or later on when they realized, oh, he can do that. I didn't have to. Oh, he's still the cheery guy. He likes me. I wanted them to see that image all the time, all the time. And that's the way I was able to deal with the, the attitudes uh, that sometimes people have that a person can't do. Now, there were people in the congregation who still didn't like me and still didn't think I could. still didn't think I was a good pastor. still didn't think that was something I had to learn. It was a very hard thing is you can't convince everybody. You can't win everybody and you won't be everybody's friend. Hmm. Um, so what were some of the rewards that you got from, from pastoring? Oh, the friendships, the friendships. When they realized I wanted to be their friend as a pastor, I, I, that I cared for them and that I was expressing God cared for them they would, most of them opened up and they became uh, my friends and they would go out of the way to help me on things. So we, if I was in a jam, I could pick up a phone call and say, Hey, Elmer, it's Valentine's day. And I need to get my wife a card and, and, uh, uh, roses, uh, here in the next two weeks. Could you take me? Sure. I'd be happy to, I could ask then people and they love to do it. Oh, the friendships just were fantastic just fantastic. And people would do other things, especially that fit into their, what do they, they call it? Their, um, their wheelhouse, the things they were really good at, they would love to do for me. Um, and so um, I became very close with lots of people in that congregation, very well knit. And, and um, that was just extremely rewarding. I, I had tears and joys and sorrows and sadness because of weddings and funerals, but I was with them all. And, and that's really, if there's other pastors out there, that's really the dream of any pastor is to, 
to be there for all those times and to help people in the ups and the downs. Did you, and this I may edit out, but I'm just curious, did you yeah. struggle to find a balance between, you know, teaching and leading Bible studies and being that visiting friend and... Yes, that is always the balance. What do you, how do you invest your time? Um, and so that could be a challenge because if you are going to teach, you have to do the preparation. Sure. Um, and, and then get the right material to do that. Um, and so that could always be a challenge. And there were a few things in the parish that I found were difficult to do because it was so dependent upon the materials that were provided by the denomination and to get them turned into Braille, that could be hard. Um, so there were certain things that became difficult and I did avoid uh, because of the time intensity of things. And that's probably why I gravitated more for towards the being the people person uh, anyway, rather than the, the, the true instructor as many pastors can be. Mm -hmm. So you moved on eventually to what? Mm -hmm. um, the National Church, the Lutheran Church, asked if I would be director of Lutheran Blind Mission. Um, the people had actually started uh, using me part-time just to see would I be good and effective and helpful in the blind ministry work that was being done. And they liked what they saw, so they asked me to do it then full-time in 1998. When I came on board, uh, we had a large lending library, the size of a, a, a gymnasium full of Braille, large print and audio produced by volunteers all over the country. Uh, they also did uh, uh, devotionals, magazines, um, and that's kind of all the ministry did. Now, this is separate from Lutheran Braille workers who did the Bibles in Braille, mm -hmm. Lutheran Blind Mission. And it wasn't very long that I got there and I got started getting phone calls. Well, it's about time a blind guy headed up blind ministry or missions. What are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. What are we going to do? What's out there? And it was Bob Mates who said, well, I know a hundred people right around my church who are blind and none of them come to church, but me. And we talked a lot and I said, well, why don't I come out there and spend a week and we visit people and just ask questions. And so that's what we did. We saw probably 60 of the 100 people he knew um, and just said, we'd like to come by and chat. And we're not here to lecture, or convince or anything. We just want to learn about you. And what we found was interesting. People who are blind um, have difficulty in churches because one, it's hard to get there. or And, and then if, the, if someone does volunteer to pick them up, well, then they do this over two or three weeks, but then they don't. That can be a problem. But then also materials could be a problem. And um, they find that um, spiritually that people, not necessarily the pastors, but people in the congregation, sometimes even the pastors would say, well, if you had more faith, God would heal you. Or you must be blind because you did something bad. And so we learned that spiritually people were really hurting that they thought God was angry at them. And it's so different than my experience growing up because my family 
had a good relationship with God and church, and I didn't feel God was angry at me. And my mom pointed out, I'm not being punished. Um, there's a different reason, and we'll work it out together. So as I started to listen to these people. We thought, oh, we need to invite them into a friendly environment where they can feel like God does care about them because people care about them and, and give them a, a, a way to, to appreciate God um, with devotional or something. So Bob and I then said, well, let's make a meal, have a meal, invite people who are blind and uh, say, just come and we'll have just a devotion. We're not pushing anything on you. We want to help support you. And if you have any needs, we'll see if we can uh, help meet them. The first time they came, 10 people, then 17 and then over 30 people came the third month. That was wow. the first outreach center in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. That was in 1999. It's still going today in 2022, their meeting. Um, and since then, many other outreach centers. We, we opened up about 10 during the next year. And I visited and worked with them tightly, kind of evaluating, teaching, training, observing, trying different things so that we could really understand what could make them effective or good. And then after that first couple of years, we kind of opened it up and we opened up about 90 in all during the next 13 years. And of course, with outreach centers and the leaders who are blind, they needed more training. So we started the Christian Blind Institute and that's where you and I met. Yep. And uh, the training was to provide uh, many people said want to just go to college and 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 get the training like any other sighted person well there's transportation there's costs there's books it's not specific it takes years where we're trying to do a hands-on ministry right away so that's what we designed in the week uh, of gathering together each week there were two courses that were taught um and and over the multiple years then we added uh, that we taught in class, six different classes. And then there were another uh, six that were taught correspondently um, to train people to be uh, leaders at outreach centers to help share their faith and trust in God who cares um, and who shows that through Jesus. And uh, so that was the Christian Blind Institute. Um, and that then... Um, that lasted through 2012, and that's another turning point. So I think um, we've been going for, what, about 25 minutes? Mm -hmm. I think we'll stop right here and okay. start another file and continue on. Very good.